The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Scorebox. Let's get into your headlines this hour. Asian markets retreat. U.S. equities give back some gains. With investors eyeing today's non-farm payrolls report, Fed Governor Michelle Bowman echoing Jerome Powell's message that tightening may slow but last longer. Moderating the pace um, and the level of rate increases will allow us to more fully assess the effects of our past monetary policy actions. EU ministers edge closer to a deal to cap Russian crude prices, tentatively agreeing on a $60 per barrel ceiling just days ahead of a de facto deadline. Uh, President Biden rolling out the red carpet for his French counterpart Emmanuel Macron, hosting his first state dinner as the pair pledge to hold Russia accountable for its actions in Ukraine. We want to build peace, and sustainable peace means full respect of sovereignty and, uh, and territorial integrity of, uh, of Ukraine. And Twitter reportedly offers incentives to advertisers in a bid to win them back, while Elon Musk suspends Kanye West's account after the rapper violates the platform's rules once again. So in shock that we even bother talking about Kanye West with the despicable stuff that man comes out with. Anyway, enough of that. Let's move on. Uh, Dow Jones was down six tenths of one percent. Uh, S&P flat, Nasdaq flat. Look, congratulations, most of you. Well done. You have made the decision to jump into a very crowded space. So in your decision tree that starts off here and then goes off in different permutations there, you have made the decision to join the herd. Now, not all of you, but most of you out there are part of that bell curve consensus now. You're in the herd, so you're safe, yeah? Uh, that the US is going to be raising rates at a lessening rate. You've bought the Kool-Aid that inflation has peaked. You've bought the Kool-Aid that actually now we're only going to see 50 basis points hikes, possibly 25 basis points hikes before a whole at some stage in the second half of 2023. So you're in a nice, warm, cuddly consensus. The problem is that consensus is based on fairly shaky ground at the moment. Yes, we celebrate a decimal lower when it comes to the CPI coming off a bit. You celebrate potentially the PCE deflator uh, rising at a lesser rate than many people had feared as well compared with the previous months. But when you look at the core inflation data out the PCE de deflator yesterday and other bits of data, it's not that encouraging for those of you in that herd. But you're in the herds. So you've got now got to make a decision. And this is where it gets a little bit tasty, gets a little bit more interesting because you have then two distribution, two nodes that come off that um, decision tree. And, and that is the fact that some of you think that the lows are in on the market and we can buy this market aggressively uh, because the lows are in on the market and the highs are in on inflation. And then there are those of you who think, actually, no, what this is going to mean now is some form of recession, earnings recession as well. Earnings are too high and we're going right back down to another little area of comfort zone, which is 3,250 on the S&P, give or take a couple of hundred points, because there's another big grouping of you bears down there as well. And this is why the market is so interesting, because you have got that first decision. Most people think the highs are in inflation. Then you've got the distribution of someone who's going to go up from here uh, and the, the recession is going to be very mild. And those who think 
think it is going to go down from here and actually the uh, market is stunningly complacent. So let's have a look where we are uh, on the treasuries as well because the treasuries very interestingly are, are beginning to move north. On the 10-year we are beginning to see a series of lower uh, prints, i.e., look, we've now got a 3.5 handle on the 10-year note. We haven't seen many of that in recent days. Uh, the two-year, though, steadfastly, we keep hearing people want to put money in there at 4.27%, i.e., the inversion uh, alive and well. But an inversion historically, and I don't think we've mentioned it a couple of times recently, we've mentioned it a lot over the years, and that is the fact that inversion is a warning sign about the market's impression about a recession to come. Dollar crosses. Now, this is again part of the same rhetoric from that distribution. Everybody seems to be saying that the highs of the dollar are in, that actually uh, the interest rate differential is ha has hit its, its peak in some ways. So look at that. Look at sterling. And I've taken the mickey out of those who said we were going to parity so many times on the show. Even I'm bored with that joke now. But we're up to 122.29 on that. Look at that as well. Even the euro. With mixed inflation data yesterday, let's be honest about it. Um, um, sorry, mixed CPI numbers as well, mixed uh, ISM data as well, uh, 105.24. So the euro continues to rally. Uh, dollar yen, 135, and the dollar yuan, 7.05 as well. Uh, Brent, WTI. This is absolutely fascinating because we've now got, um, I think, a handle on the US average price of gasoline of 3.4 and then another decimal after that. Again, some of the lowest levels we've seen in recent months as well. But You've got the OPEC producers got a big meeting on Sunday. It's all bit virtual. They don't want the journalists there. Uh, they want to go virtual on this one. What are they going to signal? Because they've managed to put about seven bucks on the price of Brent and a few bucks on the price of WTI on the back uh, of saying, we need to make some action. We need to cut more barrels off the table. And how different is that? from those original assumptions from many, many of the geniuses in the oil market who said we were going to have a supply deficit and as such the demand would remain, remain robust and we were going to have a real problem filling uh, those Russian barrels or finding the equivalent of those Russian barrels elsewhere in the market. And now we've got a situation where OPEC is going to have to cut building up their spare capacity, 87.20 on Brent as well. And the Asian equities. So let's have a look at where we're trading. So the Kospi's lost 1.7%. The ASX 200 has lost 7 tenths of 1%. The Hang Seng and the Shanghai Composite are mildly in negative territory. But for the last time of 2022, do you know what this is the last time of 2022? What Go today on. is? Go on. It's the, last... it's the 2nd of December. It's the 2nd of December. Right. And I've skillfully negotiated my wife's birthday already this month. Oh, no, well done. This is the, yeah. This is the last time on a Friday mm. three of us will be together this year. Right. True. It's true right. that. It, yes. True that. Because somebody is going off on the holiday of holidays. <laughs> holiday <laughs> of a lifetime. Holiday of one's one dreams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How are you? Do you have a nice couple yeah. of days off? I just one day. It was great. <laughs> no, you were on street signs on Wednesday, weren't you? Oh, right, yes. <laughs> I was indeed. Did well, set your alarm for are, three o'clock on that day. Yeah, I was going to say, there are some things you won't miss, Karen, yeah. when you're away, right? Exactly. What's that? What, Jeff? <laughs> Jeff and his pithy remarks. I know, he's terrible. Say no more. We should uh, pick our way through the data. Prices in the US rose 5% on an annual basis in October, according to the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. The core personal consumption expenditures price index rose less than expected at 0.2% on the month, giving hope that inflation may have peaked. Factory activity across America contracted for the first time in two and a half years in November amid weaker demand. However, a sub-index for input prices fell for the second consecutive month. Meanwhile, weekly jobless claims came in softer than forecast at 225,000. 
Fed Chair Jerome Powell said earlier this week that a slower pace of rate hikes may be required from December. Comments that were echoed by Fed Governor Michelle Bowman. Moderating the pace um, and the level of rate increases will allow us to more fully assess the effects of our past monetary policy actions and, and the effect that they're having on economic activity. I expect that the federal funds rate will have to remain at a sufficiently restrictive level for some time in order to reduce or restore price stability, which will in turn help to create conditions for a sustainably strong labor market. Well, November's non-farm payrolls report is estimated to show a gain of 200,000 according to uh, Dow Jones forecasts after jumping 261,000 in October. The continued strength of the labor market comes in the face of recession fears with a slew of major U.S. companies announcing job cuts over the last month, particularly in the technology sector. The unemployment rate is expected to hold steady at 3.7%, while average hourly earnings are forecast to rise 0.3%. Neil Wilson joins us, co-chief executive officer of EJF Capital. Neil, good morning to you and good to see you. Look, I think Jay Powell was pretty clear um, a couple of days ago in spelling out the key part of the Labour story that he's interested in, and that is wages. Are we at a point where we can say categorically now that wages appear to be peaking or topping out? Uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on this morning. Um, I, I think that the data is showing that inflation is peaking and you know the, the persistence and the stubbornness of the labor market is really what's giving the impetus for you know the Fed to to continue to ratchet up. Um, I would analogize it to, you know, where we are in the in the in the tightening cycle. It's kind of like restringing a violin. You know, the Fed's trying to tighten uh, the string to get the pitch just right, but it's it's a very hard thing to do. And if you go too far, you can snap it and end up in a recession. Um, I think the I think the right pr prognostication is you're going to have you know 50 bips uh, in December, and then maybe two or three 25 bip increases, and at that point uh, stasis and and just see see where that takes the data. But the data has been a little bit stubborn um, on the on the wage side, but but I think the data is telling you that wages are peaking. And just on the, I mean, Steve was at the wall earlier doing a, a wonderful job of walking us through just how the market is behaving this week. Um, as we had that key uh, Jay Powell commentary. And there is a sense when you look at the bond markets and the equity markets at the moment that they are basically just looking through the messaging from Jay Powell that rates are going to be a lot higher than market current expectations. Um, where do we see the reckoning happen where markets ultimately reset to Jay Powell's narrative or Jay Powell resets to the market? But ultimately, you know, you you know, as everyone knows, you can't fight the Fed. So I think the reckoning is going to be on on Jay Powell's terms. Um, look, the market on Wednesday was very hopeful. Um, you know, there was just a lot of hope that you know this is this the sign that things are going to you know the Fed is going to start backing off, easing up, um, and that you can maybe actually have a safe landing. I think it is very hard to have a safe safe landing, um, but I think the market you know I think on Thursday yesterday and as you as you mentioned at the outset of this hour, uh, the Asian markets they're showing that you know kind of people are are kind of reading through. Uh, what Powell actually said and what other governors have said subsequently. And and the answer is they're going to continue to tighten and then they're going to hold for a while. And the real question for me is how long are they going to hold before you can get to a point where uh, you can actually see loosening? And I don't, I don't think that's going to happen uh, until 2024. 
I just want to explain how challenging it is to try and uh, really get into the consumer psyche from here because this seems to be one of the keys for the Fed in terms of achieving the soft landing. You've had an increase in consumer spending in October, up 0.8%. At the same time, if you look at the personal savings rate, uh, we're at the lowest level since 2005. So arguably, we should be seeing the belt tightening from those consumers, but they're still displaying these uh, long COVID type of uh, behaviours where they're out there, they're spending money that effectively they they don't really have going into a slowdown. At what point do we see some sort of real change in that pattern by consumers where perhaps the Fed then realises after the fact it got things wrong and it did over-tighten the economy? Well, I think it just just takes a little while, Karen. I mean, when you go back to historically the most analogous periods, probably, you know, 1980, uh, when Volcker started, you know, you had rampant inflation and, you know, Volcker started tightening his, you know, that's a very, you know, clear historical analogy. And it took 18 months from the very strong tightening uh, to get to a point where you really saw strong indicators that inflation was coming in. We're only in month 11 of the tightening cycle. Um, you know, we were essentially at zero at the beginning of the year. And we're on our way to, you know, five, five and a quarter. If you assume another 100 basis points, my 50, 25, 25 kind of prognostication. But you are seeing some signs that the consumer is feeling the impact of these rate increases. And, and, and that, and what, what I would point to is credit card balances for the third quarter in the U.S. were at historic levels and well, well beyond where they were pre-COVID. Um, and you're also starting to see more of the, the borrowers having delinquencies on their loans and especially in the, you know, less than prime. But, but as, as you continue to tighten, you're going to see more and more of that. And, and the housing market in the U.S. is pretty notable. I think there, you know, the Fed's pretty heartened by the fact that, you know, new housing starts were down almost 5%, um, you know, uh, last month. And, and so you are seeing some of those signs, but it does take a while. It does take uh, a period of time. And so I would, I would say, you know, your, to answer your question, you just have to be uh, a little bit patient and the consumer will, will see the impact. Or we'll what, feel the impact. Yeah, Neil, what do you anticipate on the job front? Because we've had some mixed messages on that, that effectively we can get this uh, perfect landing because we're only going to see a slight increase in the unemployment rate. But we've already had layoffs from the real estate sector, technology, entertainment. When does that become a, a harsher reality for many? Well, I, I think, you know, again, the, the consensus uh, for non-farm payrolls is 200,000. Um, you know, that's half less than half what it was all of last year on a, on a monthly basis. And it's in, in 261 was the, the lowest print uh, last month this year. So there's still a ways to go um, on, 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 on the, the non-farm payrolls and, and employment. The ADP number, which is not as reliable an indicator as non-farm payrolls came in at 127,000. Uh, you know, that came out, you know, just a couple of days ago and the consensus was 200 there. So, you know, that's not a perfect read. That's why this, this print today is really very important. Um, and if it goes above 200, you're going to see the market really pull in and, you know, in, in kind of the short term. Uh, but if it comes kind of comfortably below closer to that ADP number, um, then I do think that the, the market's going to uh, probably have kind of not a, not a Wednesday, but it'll have a little bit of a positive, positive move. Very good morning to you. Are there some really nasty old things out there that remind you and I and the rest of the gang of 2008? I'm talking about this FT story last week about collateralized fund obligations where products look like they're being sold at very, very interesting um, 
debt levels and multiples and ratings. Uh, and now I read that Blackstone has limited withdrawals of its $125 billion real estate investment fund following a surge in redemption requests. Again, I'm reading that copy off the FT today. Blackstone shares falling 8% yesterday. And there's some nasties out there that we're just not appreciating. Well, I, I think on the B-read uh, kind of mention on the redemptions, I mean, that's sort of what you would you, you would expect. And that product was designed to kind of slow down redemption so it's not uh, a rush to the exit. It has to be an orderly exit. Um, but I, I don't think we're looking at a 2008 at all. I mean, there are some growth, you know, kind of factors, you know, the opening up of China, uh, you know, you have, you know, the U.S. dollars, you know, we, you know weakening so that you know, you would expect that that would have a stimulative effect. Uh, gas and oil, as you mentioned, has been, you know, coming in, in the United States. And, and you also have, uh, because of these inflation numbers and the way things work, the retirees in America are going to get a cost of living increase adjustment. Um, it's pretty considerable and that affects a lot of uh, consumers. So they'll have a little bit more cash in their pockets. So I think this is not a 2008. The banks are absolutely fine. The capital levels are you know is as at historically high levels so i don't see a nasty um kind of a prognosis here and i think i think look the the crypto ftx uh kind of dynamic that's that this has just showed you how limited it was and in, in in even though about i think it got up as high as 16% of americans own some crypto um it wasn't it was really held in in, in fewer hands so and it really Neil? doesn't rest of the rest of the market so, Neil, what I'm basically asking you is, are there, and you mentioned about banks being secure and that, and I get that, but I'm talking about uh, the other side of the ledger, the, the non-bank financial lending, the private sector, which is loathe to revalue as quickly as a public sector market does, and that's why it's the public sector, so it hasn't done the same level of scrutiny. You don't think there are as many nasties in the private sector with the revaluation of assets there, with the gated money now becoming a bit of a problem for some investors as well. Nothing there at all that's going to worry the public markets. Well, you're painting me into an absolute position, which I, I of course, can't take. But, you know, look, that that's where you would have issues. It'd be in the non as you mentioned, it'd be in the non-bank area, the non-bank lending area. Um, but I do think that that um, you know it, it, it's not something that we're we're particularly uh, concerned about in specific specific areas that I can identify for, identify for you. Uh, we just we just think that um, you know this the, the the Fed's doing the right thing; they're acting quickly, um, and you're actually seeing a high yield trading up a bit because people are saying, "Look, you know the the, the Fed's going to tighten here, but it's not going to go to the point where we're tipping over folks into delinquencies." Um, uh, the the one area we're seeing is in subprime uh, that that the delinquencies have ratcheted up quite a bit, as I mentioned earlier. That's the one area you know where it may affect the securitization market, or it has affected the securitization market in the consumer area, especially weaker consumers. Um, and and so that that's where you're that's where you're seeing the stress. I hear you, and like you're right, I, I was painting you into a binary position, and there is no binary answer. So I appreciate your answer as well. I do worry though. I've got to be honest. Uh, subprime has been missold once before. And it's just the smell that some of it's being repriced in an interesting way this time around as well. But, Neil, we'll leave it there for now. Great to see you, sir. Thank you for the good answers, and we'll see you again soon. Neil Wilson, Co-Chief Executive Officer at EJF Capital. Karen. Elsewhere, the U.S. lawmakers have voted a rail strike after the Senate passed a bill that forces unions to accept a labour agreement. Rail workers were due to strike on the 9th of December, which would have cost the U.S. economy an estimated $2 billion a day. The legislation has now been sent to the White House for President Biden to sign. Coming up on the show, Heineken warns of price hikes as it hosts its Capital Markets Day in Amsterdam. 
And for plenty more on the US economy and the jobs report due out later today, check out the Squawkbox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. In corporate news, Heineken hosts its Capital Markets Day in Amsterdam today, where the beer maker will update investors on its evergreen program, its strategy to, quote, shape the future of beer and beyond. The brewer expects operating profit will come in well ahead of pre-pandemic levels this year, but has warned higher input and energy costs will force it to raise prices. Well, Juliana joins us from Heineken's Capital Markets Day in Amsterdam. Juliana, we can feel the marketing pitch there and the whole campaign about positioning beer for the future, but what does this really mean? What's the essence behind this? Well, at the moment, it really means keeping pace with cost inflation. Longer term, they are making a lot of effort to diversify their beer portfolio and expand beyond beer. But the crux of the short-term story here is that costs are increasing for Heineken. It's the second largest brewer in the world, and we're seeing a major increase in operating as well as cost input, so an increase in the cost of ingredients. But as for their guidance, yesterday was actually day one of the Capital Markets Day, and they reaffirmed their guidance for 2022 and 2023. So let me just remind you that for this year, they expect stable to slightly growing margins. For 2023, they're expecting mid to high single digit organic operating profit growth. They also gave a little bit more color around what to expect for 2023, which came as a welcome surprise to investors. They're expecting stable to modestly growing volumes next year, an increase in developing markets, but declining in Europe. So a lot of the pressure they're seeing across the globe is being seen more acutely in Europe from both a cost input perspective and, of course, from an energy perspective. And then in terms of uh, what that evergreen strategy actually means in practice, Karen, this was a multi-year strategy that was launched back in February 2021. And it is all about uh, balanced growth. So the takeaway so far from the capital market today is that they want to be more balanced about growth between volumes and pricing than they have been in the past. That means more assertive pricing, but not at the expense of volume. So that's going to be the challenge for Heineken more strategically. How do you raise prices in certain markets while maintaining volumes? We're going to be speaking to the CEO of Heineken later today, so we'll put uh, all these questions and more to him. Guys, back over to you. Terrific. Thank you so much for that. Um, Let's move on. Credit Suisse chairman Axel Lehman says withdrawals have slowed after what he called a social media storm over the last few months. Lehman said while the scale of outflows has been surprising, very few clients actually left the bank. Some of those that did have begun to return. Credit Suisse confirmed last month it lost 10% of wealth management assets in the fourth quarter. Very interesting that he points the finger at social media 
um, <coughs> activity. Uh, apparently, that is the reason for people leaving the bank. Perhaps nothing to do with oh, the okay. bank's own track there. record. Let's go there. You, you put the ball on the tee. I have. I'll, I'll follow it up with it. So, <coughs> I, I, I get really sick of bank executives. Look, they're, they're a great operation in many ways. He's doing his best and all yeah. that. But I get sick of uh, CEOs, or market practitioners, saying it's the media. It's the media. If they didn't have a wealth of their own problems, which were self-inflicted, as well as the industry problems which are compounding on that, they wouldn't be trading at a point to whatever it is price to book. They yeah. wouldn't be trading uh, at two Swissy 70 on the back of social media and the journalists as well. There is a, a kernel uh, of truth that things get exacerbated by media, that there is speculators who follow certain media and follow Twitter as well. But the fact of the matter is, this is a company that's had deep-seated problems. There's nothing to do with what the media has or hasn't done. Well, they've got to earn the trust back earn of existing back. customers exactly. and prospective customers going forward because there are alternatives in the market. It's funny they're calling out social media. I would have thought in this particular context it was media because, I mean, the, the numbers, the uh, trajectory of the business has been so woeful. Mm. I think mainstream media has been all over it, but the social media storm they're talking about almost suggests a frenzy and that it's uh, related to, to news that's not warranted. But we've been covering this story enough people, to know that it's been day in, day out. With people think about enough to look at the facts on the balance sheet, aren't they? Uh, but the thing about media is you can litigate. If what media is saying is wrong, you can litigate. On social media, it's very difficult to litigate. And in fact, um, it's very easy to make assertions that ultimately may not be correct. But there's very little that companies can do about it. So I have a scintilla of sympathy. But it's just bandwagon. It's just um, like feeding frenzy. I mean, using social media as uh, you know the, the, the problem here i think it's just quite different to saying mainstream media what serious investor out there actually looks at social media and says this is why i buy or sell stock i'm not necessarily smaller retail investors and not necessarily asset managers on the periphery i'm talking about the serious players out there i'm talking about the saudis i'm talking about the qataris i'm talking about mr hero over at harris associates the three biggest shareholders at credit Suisse. Mm. Uh, the funds themselves fidelities the black rocks of this world mm. which one of those seriously cares what some lunatic who hasn't basically got the bottle to show what his real name is on social media mm. says about a credit Suisse or a ubs or a deutsche kind of thing the serious investors will look at the price move on the back of it and say, OK, is there an opportunity here because it has been mispriced because of something that someone said on social media? They wouldn't actually look at social media from some no name uh, and then say, oh, I better buy or sell this share on the back of it. I think part of the problem, though, is that this is uh, an important part of time. You know, if you have bad news coming out when there's a series of other negative events playing out, it can make investors question return of capital. If you think about October, we had what the, the crypto collapse effectively and the problems around FTX and where the people actually going to get their money back we've got a tightening around the cost of capital you and if it's FTX worried about and Credit Suisse though can no, you no but I think the problem was that there can be events that sort of take over and during the month of October there was a lot of concern about liquidity in various parts of the I market. I think you raise a really interesting conversation and again can we do the Blackstone bit after so I know we're running over but I'll just go with this it's like the noise from from crypto again we're evolving this conversation has had not a scintilla i think you used scintilla already I today i love that, that word yeah. it's in my head yeah. it's an okay. earworm you've got it it hasn't had a scintilla of an effect on the broader market i would mm. suggest again debatable there is a collapse going on of all kinds of companies in the crypto space there is a collapse of confidence of all kinds of players in the crypto space you've got this chap sam bankman fried who's doing a great job of trying to tell everyone he's not a crook and again there are allegations that he is mm. and whether he is or not the Hopefully, due process will find out as well. But he's doing a great job of getting out there and saying, it wasn't me. But regardless of all of this, the real market, where real assets are involved, 
hasn't actually reacted in the slightest. And there's been a lot of questions about when and if crypto collapses, will that have ramifications for real assets? And at the moment, I would argue it's not having a jot of an effect. Can I add gilts into the mix as well? I mean, some of it started with the problems around the UK and the fiscal position. That I mean, was a journalist's fault, that was. Credible Nothing <laughs> to do with the media, right? government in the UK. It was, you know, credibility <laughs> being tested in the safest of <laughs> safe <laughs> trades. And then obviously we saw that move across to a very unsafe trade, Wild West of crypto markets. I think investors have been trying to piece this all together and say, look, what else have we not taken stock of? Could there be a problem elsewhere in the system? And I think that was the, unfortunately, the timing for credit Swiss. It's had a series of issues all over the course of this year. And if you don't have the credibility at a time when the market is testing its thinking on certain assets, then it's a problem. That's why I think social media, perhaps, or mainstream media, perhaps, has caught up with Credit Suisse in the month of October. And that is a brilliant comment, Karen, because I think what you've done, actually, is you've um, encouraged our audience to start looking at the signal and stop focusing on the noise because we are getting a lot of noise, but below that noise, there is uh, a lot of connection between things that are happening. The Credit Suisse story, the FTX story, the uh, the property fund story that you were going to read, which we, we will read no, we'll in the next... Because this is a good chat. But, but it's connected to the property funds mm. in other companies as okay. well, who are now saying, well, we've got liquidity issues. We're not sure whether we can redeem you in a timely fashion. And all of these things are related to liquidity that's draining out of the system because of what the central banks are doing. And one more piece of evidence, you talked at the wall about people jumping in and participating in this rally at the moment. Refinitiv put out a great piece that. of data overnight. Yeah, Basically, we've seen the first weekly outflow in over two months in equity ETFs. So some people are jumping in, but clearly some people are jumping out and they are moving the funds into money market funds where they are parking them to wait for a better opportunity because to come back into told, the market at a lower price. Because they've been told there's still a fantastic opportunity at the short end of the curve and yeah. it's risk-free money at 4.2%. Absolutely. There is no such thing as risk-free money, okay? Just so you all know that. This channel will continue to say that. Certainly this show will anyway. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.